Thank you, Mary Alice. That was beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. All you, the singing this morning, beautiful. Musicians, singers, thank you so much. Well, I want us to look again and behold our Lord Jesus in this Gospel of John. Today we get a little insight into his heart. And uh, I think that'll be an encouragement uh, to all of us. I want to recap. We're in that 11th chapter, which is the chapter of the resurrection of Lazarus. And uh, we ended with verse, really, 32. And we're going to pick it up there in 32 in just a second. Uh, but remind you that we are, as we closed last week, we looked at Mary at the feet of Jesus three different times. The three times she's spoken about in the scripture. She was at the feet of Jesus. She sat at his feet to learn. She fell at his feet to pour out her soul in sorrow. And then she knelt at his feet to worship him. And so I want us to think about that place of surrender. She, she lived, it would appear, in that place of surrender at the feet of Jesus. I want us to think about that as we start today. Look at verse 32 again. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you hadst been here, my brother had not died. Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God is unchanging. We can lay hold of you and of the Word in this changing world in which we live. May we do just that. Speak to us today. Lord Jesus, let us behold you that you might change us into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dick Brogdon in his book entitled Abiding Mission tells of a lady by the name of Lillian Trasher. Lillian at one point in life was a North Carolina girl. She uh, lived and worked here in North Carolina. She worked in an orphanage as a young lady. And it was here in North Carolina where she felt God's call to be a missionary and to go to Egypt. She was engaged at the time and of course shared that with her fiance and over a period of time he concluded that he was not called to do that and so she broke off her, her um, plans for marriage and she sold everything she had and sailed for Egypt. When she got there, she had less than a hundred dollars to her name. Can you imagine that? In a, in a country like Egypt, far away from home, far away from North Carolina. It wasn't long after she was there, somebody asked her to visit with a young woman who was dying. And she did and visited with this young woman. And the young woman asked Lillian to take her baby and raise her baby. The baby was sick and malnourished and Lillian agreed to do so. And that started the the first orphanage ever in Egypt. It started with that baby of one. 
the writer speaks about Lillian in this way. He says, uh, those first years were filled with great difficulty and limited support, but Lillian persevered to realize her vision. Can you imagine her pouring out her heart, her sorrow, her disappointments, her pain at the feet of Jesus like Mary did? I can see that in my, in my mind, in my heart. She was a lady who lived at the feet of Jesus. She spent 50 years in Egypt. She went when she was 24. She died when she was 74. And she was buried right there at the orphanage. Lived her whole life, adult life as such, there. The writer writes about her. By the time of her death, Lillian had cared for more than 10,000 orphans. Think about that. And she had touched, he writes, thousands of other people. She didn't just take in orphans. Then she started taking in the blind. Then she started taking in the uh, widows. And uh, she served many, many people, touched many lives. When she died, there was 1,200 orphans in her care. The name of the orphanage was Lillian Trasher Orphanage. <laughs> and it still serves the needy today in Egypt. Still there. And still serving the needy. It's a remarkable story. But one of the things that touched me the most was the prayer she prayed when she was a little girl. Here it is, and I quote, Lord, I want to be your little girl. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know, and I'll do it. She lived at the feet of Jesus. She lived in that place of surrender. What if you and I had that attitude and mindset? We ought to pray her prayer. I, I challenge you, and I encourage you to Pray that prayer. Put it in your own words. Try it something like this. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know. And I'll do it. That's the place of surrender. That's where we see Mary in the scripture. In that place of surrender. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord here in this COVID world in which we live. You can call people and text people. You can take groceries to people, you can take a meal to people and uh, check up on them and, and communicate and stay connected. I'd like to challenge you again. I, I know it's a, it's a new year now and we're all weary of the COVID uh, things going on, but let me encourage you not to give up and, and, to, and to communicate with people. I want to encourage everyone to call five people this week. Five people. Now, not the same people you always call, not your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, and so on and so forth. I'm talking about call five people that you haven't seen in a while, maybe because of COVID and haven't talked to in a long time, some of the other church members. Let's say we have, I don't know how many we have, five or 600 people listening this morning. 
What if 300 of those called five people this week? That's 1,500 connections. And, if, and I encourage you to keep doing it, not just one week, but start this week. And then in two weeks, that'd be 3,000. In a month, that would be 6,000 calls and connections and words of love and kindness. I encourage you to do that. If you'll say, Lord, if you ever want me to do anything, let me know, I'll do it. He'll give you something to do. In this COVID world, Denya is, is teaching three classes a week. She teaches middle school folks at one occasion. And then she teaches the Burmese children at another time. And then at another time, she teaches a group from, an, from a neighborhood set of apartments that I kind of, when I'm praying for her, I call it this. I call it the Bible Club for All Nations because she has people in that club from all, really all over the world. And, uh, and God gave her this mission field right here in Greensboro. The Lord will open a door for you to serve, even in these crazy times, if you're willing, if you're surrendered. Now, I want us to move now into these next verses, but I, I want to remind you this is the seventh miracle John records. And uh, it's, so it's the last of the miracles that John records. That's with the exception, of course, of the great miracle of the resurrection. But the seven miracles performed on people here in his ministry. And remember, he uses the term sign for miracles, which means a miraculous sign, a miracle sign. It's teaching us something. And so this one is teaching us something as well. I want us to think about miracles in general for a moment. And I can't spend much time here, but I put something together for you if you look at your screen. There are four times or four seasons of miracles in human history recorded for us in God's Word. Now, if, if you take all the miracles in the Bible and try to count them, which is quite a task, and even if you, if you count every supernatural thing, like creation even, there's about 160 miracles in the Bible. Most of them fall in these first three uh, categories. So I want you to think about this, these time frames. The first one is during the time of Moses and Joshua. You can remember the, the miracle at the burning bush and the, the plagues and, and then God taking care of the children of Israel and the wilderness, the manna on the ground and on and on, the, the, the uh, clearing of the Red Sea, the water standing up on both sides and the people of Israel going across. And there's about 30 miracles in all recorded for us during this time, this great time of miracles. And then, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, you remember that uh, great miracles were wrought by God through these two prophets. Twenty-two of them recorded for us. And then we have the time of Jesus and his apostles, starting in Matthew, working through the book of Acts, 79 miracles. And you've heard me say many times that that recorded in the Gospels, we have 35 miracles performed by Jesus. The reason this number is 79 is it includes the miracles that take place in the early church. 
It also includes all of the uh, uh, resurrection appearances of Christ and so forth. So you have 79 when you put all of those together. <clears throat> now all, all three of these span a time frame of about 60 years. And uh, in, in these three different places, that means most of the miracles recorded in the Bible took place in these three areas. The fact is, you only have 27 miracles that's outside of these three places, and they take place over a span of 4,000 years. 27 miracles in 4,000 years. You can see God was purposely revealing himself by miracles in these three places. And uh, so we are living in an age now where can God do miracles? Absolutely. Does he do miracles? Yes, he does. But it's not a time of miracles. It's a time of his word. It's the time of sharing the gospel uh, to the whole world. It's a time of missions. It's a time of the word of God. So what's that fourth time then? The fourth time is still future. Here's the three we just looked at. The last one is during the Antichrist and the false prophet. We're told that the, the false prophet and the Antichrist will work in the power of Satan. And Satan will reveal himself with deceiving signs and wonders. Miracles will take place not for the purpose of glorifying God, but for the purpose of glorifying um, the Antichrist and drawing people to himself. There will also be miracles by God during that same period, that 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days according to Revelation. And uh, the two witnesses, there will be two witnesses that, will, that God will use to perform great miracles during this time for himself. And... Uh, so that is a time of miracles. We don't know how many, but if you read those passages, you'll see it appears there's a lot of miracles that will take place in the last days. So I want, I want you to see the encouragement here is not that we, that we pray hard enough or work hard enough to get a miracle. This passage is not to, uh, to tell us that we can get a miracle, even though sometimes God works miracles. But the lesson here is that we see who Jesus is. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we see his compassion for people who are hurting in this. And we see his great power in the raising of Lazarus. And uh, that foreshadows, of course, the last days when he will raise everyone who is in the graves. So with that said, look at three times now in the New Testament where resurrections are performed by the Lord Jesus. The widow of Nain's son, he had been dead less than a day because he wasn't in the grave yet. And as you've heard me say, Jewish uh, culture was to bury your loved one the same day they died. And, uh, and you remember their story, they were coming out of the city of Nain. Nain's about 25 miles from Capernaum. Capernaum was Jesus' kind of headquarters in Galilee. And then it's about 10 miles from Nazareth, so it's between the two and a little bit south. And uh, 
they were coming out of town. Jesus was coming from Capernaum and he stopped them and he simply said to the, to the dead young man, and by the way, she was a widow. This was her only son. So now she was going to be alone completely. Jesus simply said to him, Young man, I say unto you, arise. And he sat up in his coffin or in his, his pallet, whatever they were carrying him. And he sat up in his coffin and began to talk. Wow. And then the second time was Jairus' daughter. He came to ask Jesus to heal his sick at the point of death daughter. And while he's there, some of his people come and say, Don't bother the master any longer. She has passed away. And Jesus went with them and went into the house and took uh, Peter, James, and John and the two parents, put everybody else out, went in there, and he simply said to her, Maid, arise. <laughs> and at his voice, she sat up. And Jesus said, Give her something to eat. And they did. And then the third time, we see Lazarus of Bethany and that's the text in which we are in today three times now at least three times in the Old Testament the dead were raised and the dead will be raised during the tribulation period too I'm not talking about the final resurrection I'm talking about uh, like the two the two witnesses and so forth and even the Antichrist and so Jesus though in his earthly ministry raised these three from the dead. We see in these next verses now the compassion of the Lord Jesus. You remember that study we one Sunday morning back a couple of months ago where I took you to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll remind you if you if you kind of boil all that down, it says, As we behold him, Christ, we ourselves are changed into his image by the Spirit of God. So the book of John really displays the person of Christ in a marvelous way. And you and I can be changed by beholding him. This whole incident, remember, is happening. One of the purposes is to... Uh, is to strengthen the faith of the disciples and these two dear ladies and their friends and so forth and that people will believe continue to believe trust him even more our unbelievers will believe on him so let's start now this this beholding him look at verse 33 when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Then it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Then it says again in verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaned in himself. Now what does this mean? This first word groaned here comes from a, a root word in the Greek that means a horse, the noise a horse makes when a horse snorts. <laughs> it sometimes carries the idea of being angry, but it can also carry the idea of being deeply hurt and grieved and, and in sorrow and pain. 
So Jesus groaned. Some of the newer translations translate it, he was deeply moved. I like that translation. He was deeply moved. Some newer translations, especially the paraphrase, they usually carry the idea of anger, that he was angry. Now that's not a wrong translation. The word can mean that. But it can also mean emotionally moved and stirred. Now I believe if Jesus was angered, he was not angry at the people there. That's what some people interpret this to mean. That he was angry because of their shallow weeping and crying and because they hadn't trusted him fully and things like that. I don't think that fits the context at all. I think if he was angry, he was angry at what sin has done to the perfect creation that he created. He's angry at Satan and sin and the sorrow that it all brings. He was deeply moved with compassion. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53.3 says. He's the one who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. He was touched and moved when he saw the tears of the people. The second word there means, uh, troubled means, comes, well, it comes from a root that means to stir a pot. So it means to get stirred up. <laughs> he got stirred up and uh, he was troubled. One of the translations I like the best says he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. I like that. Jesus was moved when he saw their sorrow. I want to encourage you to know that he is deeply moved at your sorrow, at your pain. Being God and being omnipotent, I think not only did he see Mary weeping and the people around him weeping, but he could see down the corridors of time and he could see all the pain and sorrow that death would bring and sin would bring. And he looks down 2,000 years and he sees us and our loved ones and our sorrows and our pain and our losses and the the loss of loved ones and our sorrow and he he looks at mankind and he and he is moved deeply moved by our pain he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities our weaknesses our frailties what a contrast that was to the greek gods the greek gods were stoic unemotional indifferent to what went on with the people not the true God for he was deeply moved so he groaned in his spirit and was greatly troubled look at verse 34 and said where have you laid him they said unto him Lord come see Jesus wept that's the shortest verse in the Bible probably everybody knows that because if you've ever taught children and you ask the class, if they can say a, a verse in the Bible, nearly every one of them will want to say this verse. <laughs> it 
John 11.35, Jesus wept. Actually, rejoice evermore, which is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is shorter in the Greek, but in the English translation, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. This word weep here is used only here in the Bible. That's, uh, that seems significant. Now the word for weeping that's used in this context about Mary weeping and Martha weeping and the people weeping, that meant a, a wailing, a lamenting, a, a crying out loud. They were, they were sorrowing out loud, which was customary of the Jews. This one means to cry silently. But it doesn't just mean a, your eyes getting watered. It doesn't just mean one tear rolling down your cheek. It means weeping, but weeping silently. Dr. Kenneth Wiest from Dallas Theological Seminary, the great Greek scholar, translates it like this. He burst out crying. Silently. <laughs> moved. Deeply moved. Greatly troubled over me and you and, and our sorrow and our hurt and our pain. Oh, what a great high priest we have. So he said, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. When they saw he was weeping, they, um, they said, Behold how he loved him. That's Lazarus. They were very right. What they didn't know was Jesus loved them just as much. And the people who would later nail his hands to a cross, he loved just as much as his dear friend Lazarus. So they said, Look how he loved them. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not be, should not have died. And so, the critics speak out, as they always do, and they criticize the Lord Jesus. It's like the atheist argument today when he says, if God is really good, then why doesn't he stop all the bad things? And if God is really sovereign, why doesn't he stop all the bad things? If he's good and sovereign both, it stands to reason he would stop all the bad things. But that's a very limited view, isn't it? That's a view from down here, earthbound people. God's people have more of a heavenly view. God is doing his work in the world, drawing people to himself. Strengthening our faith. God is at work. And so he was here. So the critics speak out. Verse 38. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself. Groaning. This time we have it in the present tense. Again it's the same word. Uh, deep. Uh, he was deeply moved. But now he's continually deeply moved. By this whole circumstance. He cometh to the grave. And it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. That's a pretty common scene in, in Israel. Even today, I was surprised. Now, of course, they take you to places like the garden tomb and all, but Karen and I did go one time to the Holy Land. 
I was surprised though that occasionally you would see a tomb it looked like an Easter <coughs> uh, display you'd see a tomb with a round stone rolled in front of it and it was a real grave and um, one we were on a big tour bus and the tour bus was going slowly in traffic we were kind of a uh, out in a rural area and I don't know 20 feet from this expressway there was a tomb a rock tomb a cave like with a big round stone rolled in front of it I was pretty amazed that those things were still there in common so that's the way he lay there would have been a big stone in front of it Jesus said take you away the stone and he's speaking to Martha Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. By this time decomposition had set in. By this time he is, his body is decaying. And there would be a terrible odor in those hot lands, humid lands after four days. Remember the, the, um, the Jews did not embalm but they would wrap clothing, uh, cloth loosely around the body with, with um, perfumes and so forth. So she says by now there will be a terrible odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her said I not unto thee if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of God you remember four days earlier he sent the message back and said this is not this thing is not about death this thing is about bringing glory to the Son of God he reminds her of that just trust me believe now again I want to emphasize that the, the encouragement here is not for you and I to pray that our dead loved ones will be resurrected that's possible. Could God do that? Jesus said, I am the resurrection. That's the reason he said that. He could do that any time. I had a dear friend one time whose brother was dying with cancer and, and he believed God was going to heal him and, but God didn't. He died. Then he believed. I was at the hospital with this family for a long period of time but, but right at this moment he believed God was going to raise his brother from the dead. He went in and he knelt and he prayed beside his brother's body for a long period of time. But God didn't raise him up. Now, this man had faith, but he had faith in what God could do. Could God have done that? Sure. But God had not promised to do that. And so he didn't. No, some of the teaching here is about spiritual birth. You know, we had those three, we saw those three people. Remember, uh, one of them was a 12-year-old uh, uh, girl. One of them was a young man. And one of them now is an adult man. So that's a beautiful picture of salvation uh, the new birth that we can be we can receive newness of life children can young adults and adults and uh, the the child had just died not much decay there the young man had been had been dead just a day decay was just starting to set in 
Lazarus had been dead four days. His body is decaying. Even, even if you're decaying because of your sin, and sin has ruined your life, Jesus can turn that around and give new life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the giver of life. And so, he said, I told you, you'll see the glory of God. Just believe, trust me. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead had laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. See, again, this is about believing. The people trusting the Lord, seeing who he is, being changed because of that. People who don't know him to come and believe on him. Now, it could be rude for, for us humans, sinners, to pray, to pray for someone and it sound more like a sermon being preached than a prayer being prayed. But the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, the Sovereign One. He did it so these people would hear Him and believe. Verse 43, And when He had spoken, that is this prayer, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine having been there that day? Let me again kind of set the stage for you. Nobody knew yet what he was going to do. Even when they rolled away the stone, they would not have assumed he was going to raise him from the dead. They would have assumed because he loved him so much, he wanted to, to go in and, and see the corpse. And then all of a sudden, with a loud voice, he cries, Lazarus, come forth. Could be translated, come out. Come out, Lazarus. Wow, what a moment that was. It's been said often that if Jesus had not specified Lazarus by using his name, all those in the graves would have come forth. <laughs> you remember Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, the day is coming when the Son of Man uh, shall, shall call those who are in the graves and they shall hear his voice and they shall come forth. Everybody who's ever died is going to be resurrected by the voice of the Son of God. Some, Jesus said, will be resurrected to everlasting life. Some will be resurrected to everlasting judgment. But everybody's going to be resurrected. So if Jesus hadn't specified Lazarus, they would have all come forth. So he calls Lazarus by name. Now we're reading this from the earthly side of things. Can you imagine the heavenly side? I don't, I don't know what it looked like, but I like to think about it and speculate about it. He'd been in heaven, he'd been in paradise four days. There was something missing from heaven. The Son of God, for he was on earth. Maybe Lazarus had already seen the Father on his throne. 
Maybe he was talking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe they were all gathered around him asking him questions because though God, of course, sees all things, the angels and the saints that were there, they could not see everything happening on earth. So maybe they said, hey, have you met Jesus? He's on earth right now. Did you see him or hear him? And Lazarus might have said, are you kidding me? He used to come to my house. And we would eat together and Jesus would teach. He said, my sister Martha, she was a great cook. And she would cook a big meal and serve people. And we would laugh and have a great time. And, and Mary, my other sister and I, we would sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. For as long as he would teach. The people in heaven were probably amazed. Maybe Abraham said, see that guy over there? Lazarus said, yeah, what about him? He said, that's Elijah. And Lazarus said, you've got to be kidding me. No, that's him. You want to meet him? Absolutely. And so they're walking over to meet Elijah, and all of a sudden, he hears the voice of the Son of God. Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, he begins to leave that place. Maybe he can see it as it's fading away. I don't know. He begins to leave that place and he goes through time and, and matter and all of a sudden he wakes up in his body and he's in that tomb. He swings his legs around, stands up, and comes out. Wow. That's the Lord we serve. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is he big enough to take care of us in a COVID world? Absolutely. Is he, does he enter into our sorrows and our pain and our disappointments in life? Absolutely. He's the compassionate Christ. Thank God he is. Verse 44, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin or a piece of cloth separate from the wrappings. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. By the way, Jesus could have loosed him. Jesus could have rolled away the stone. But he doesn't do what he wants us to do. He wants us to cooperate with him in service and in his ministry and what he does. He wants us to roll away the stones and take away the grave clothes. But only he can raise the dead. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him. <laughs> well, I guess so. Many of them believed on him. That was one of the purposes of this great miracle. God in this, in that period of time, that season, revealing himself through miracles. Many believed. Notice, notice verse 46. But, that word but means in contrast to verse 45, but others did not believe. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus had done. Still true today. There are those who believe and there are those that don't. Even if some people say, well, if I saw so-and-so and so-and-so, even if you saw 
Lazarus raised from the dead. You wouldn't believe if you won't believe the word. These people, what they saw, they, they knew was true and right. They didn't want to give up their sin. They didn't want to give up the way they were living. They didn't want to allow him to be Lord of their lives. And so they thought they would curry favor with the, with the uh, politicians, the Jewish politicians. So they went to the Pharisees and told what had happened. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, we would love to pray with you, answer your questions. You can call us on the, on the church phone or you can leave a message online for us. We would love to help you come to Christ. I want to, in closing, read one more time that prayer of Lillian Trasher. When she was a little girl, she said, and I quote, Lord, I want to be your little girl. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know, and I'll do it. Will you pray that prayer? And will you mean it? Whatever you want, Lord, I will do it. Father, speak to us now from this great passage of Scripture. May each of us, in a new and a fresh way today, bow at your feet. Maybe some of us need to pour out our sin, our, our sorrow and our pain or even our sin. Or maybe to worship. But teach us to take that place of surrender before you, we pray. May we pray this prayer like Lillian did. Lillian's in heaven now with you. And may we pray the prayer and take on this attitude. I want to be your little girl or little boy. I want to be your man, your woman. If ever I could do anything for you, let me know and I'll do it. Teach us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, we've been watching, of course, a little clip of, uh, of these events. And uh, we've got a clip for you today, about three minutes. And so let's watch this together. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, 
He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. That would be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here, so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! He came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. But some of them returned to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What a day in human history that was. In our portrayal of this, the people kind of look like they're in shock. I imagine that uh, could have been their first reaction. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were in shock. I imagine a few moments after that scene we just viewed, once they got him unwrapped and he began to talk to them, that funeral turned into a party and they rejoiced and hugged and cried and this time tears of joy and rejoicing. What a beautiful scene. God bless you. We hope you have a wonderful day. Pastor Jason's coming. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, um, this month that we are observing sanctity of life, and we have a video for you. <laughs> 